This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. And Hope Does Not Disappoint Us, a sermon for June 14, 2020, the second Sunday after Pentecost for online worship for Trinity Commons. Our readings for the day included God's visit to Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac, the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, and the gospel reading was the sending of the twelve found in the gospel of Matthew. Writing to the church in Rome, Paul points to the example of Abraham and Sarah and their faith, describing it as that they were able to hope against hope that a child would be born to them and a nation would begin. That actually comes right before the reading from Paul's letter to the Romans that we get tonight. It's what precedes this build up to Paul's declaration in chapter five that we are justified by faith and therefore have peace with God through Jesus and have access to grace and get to boast in the hope of the glory of God. I think it's helpful since Paul points us to Abraham and Sarah and the lectionary writers um, smartly put together the story of Abraham and Sarah with this text from the letter to Paul to the Romans to take a moment to remember sort of the bigger story of Abraham and Sarah to understand why Paul points to them as an example. We have to back up a little bit. We started last week with the very beginning, the beginning of Genesis, and now we have fast-forwarded through some parts to end up sort of in the middle of Abraham and Sarah's story. And in sort of fast-forwarding through it, we've skipped over some things that I think are really important. We need to get a a better idea of how we get to this point of Abraham entertaining um, these angelic visitors and Sarah listening inside the tent. We need to know that when Abraham was 75 years old, God came to him and told him to leave his country and his family and made him a promise that from Abraham, God would bring a great nation. So Abraham did as God directed, and a few years go by, but there's no children. God then comes to Abraham again and promises him again that there will be descendants and offspring from him and that he will his offsprings and descendants will be the beginning of a great nation and that they will have this this plot of land that would become to be thought of as the promised land and Abraham again says yes and does as God asked him to do and a few years go by and there are still no children between Abraham and Sarah God shows up again and says, don't worry, I promise you, your descendants will number more than the stars. About halfway through all of this, after God's many promises, Abraham and Sarah do take matters into their own hands, and Abraham has a child by Hagar named Ishmael. But again, 
when Abraham and Sarah are about 99 years old, God comes and makes a covenant with Abraham. This time, he not only promises that a son would be born to Sarah and that a nation would be brought forth, he changes their names. He says, from now on, instead of Abram and Sarai, you will be Abraham and Sarah. This is also where the covenant is made with Abraham that requires Abraham's circumcision. When Abraham hears the promise of God, again, at now this great age of him and Sarah that they would have children, he laughs. Seems reasonable. Four times God promises descendants and a nation, and on the fourth promise, Abraham finally lets out a laugh at what God has to say. Four times the promise is made, and it seems that four times the promise goes unfulfilled. I sort of imagine that each time God speaks to Abraham, Abraham might excitedly run back to Sarah and tell Sarah what God had said, especially when their names got changed and when Abraham had to be circumcised. That would surely warrant some explanation to your wife. So I think Sarah knew what was going on when these visitors arrived that Abraham offers hospitality to. It wasn't like this was the first time that she had heard the story. And so we get to today's reading and we hear laughter from Sarah when she overhears once again God's promise of a child to her and Abraham when they are nearly a hundred years old and when the time for Sarah for having children has long since passed. She hears the divine visitors say that she would have a son, a promise heard before that had gone unfulfilled, and she laughs. After 25 some odd years of following Abraham around down to Egypt and back up again, after so many tries to have the child that God has promised, Sarah laughs, and that laugh is interpreted as disbelief. When she is confronted about her laughter by the visitors, she's very quick to deny it, but God knows she laughed and tells her so. And when the child that was promised is finally born, the child that fulfills God's promise to Abraham and Sarah, they named that child Isaac, which means laughter. The nation of Israel, the nation of God's covenant, the nation of God's prophets, the nation of God's deliverance begins in this moment with a laughter of disbelief. But even in her disbelief, even in Abraham's disappointment, even when they may be doubted, they still had hope. I think this is perhaps a very important message for us to hear in our current season of the world. In the tumult that we are in, we are so very quick to let hope slip away. We look at the news and see protest, divisive politics, rising COVID numbers, and there appears to be no solutions to any of it. There also doesn't seem like there's a lot of room for hope in all the mess that we are in. And there certainly doesn't seem to be very much space for laughter 
even if that laughter is to demonstrate our disbelief. But we hear from Paul in his letter to the Romans that we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And as Paul writes this, he is thinking of Abraham and Sarah and how they had hope even when it seemed like God's promises went unfulfilled time and time again. I think sometimes when we think about God making a promise to us, we think that God's promise means that everything will be okay and that it will be okay pretty darn quickly. But that's never been the story of God or the story of God's people. One of those times when God promised to Abraham that a nation would come from his descendants, God also told Abraham that that nation would be enslaved and oppressed for many years. But God also promised to bring judgment on the nation that had oppressed them. In our story from Matthew, Jesus, God incarnate, present with the disciples, the fulfillment of God's promise to send a Messiah, sends the disciples out with great power, but also sends them out as sheep into the midst of wolves and tells them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves because they were going out into a world, even while God's promises was being fulfilled, that would persecute them and would reject them. But the disciples had hope and went in spite of the persecution that they faced. And Abraham and Sarah had hope in spite of the many years of going childless. Hope is an important part of being a Christian and something that I think we need especially now. James Baldwin a black American writer who was also involved in the civil rights movement in the 60s. He was a friend of Martin Luther King Jr., Medgar Evans, and Malcolm X. Was interviewed in 1978 while he was an expat in France by a German magazine. This sort of long debate back and forth between he and the interviewer covered a myriad of topics, including Baldwin's writings and, and Baldwin's activities in the civil rights movement. It included discussion about comparing the U.S. issues of racism with the Nazis in the 1940s, just this back and forth conversation. And at the end of it, as he was closing out his remarks, because he was doing this interview as he was considering coming back to the United States, even though he had lived abroad for a long time. And the reason why he was coming back is because the issues of racism were continuing and were getting worse. And when they asked him about this, he described himself as being a black American writer and that his destiny was caught up in America's destiny. And he said that he, since the beginning, has lived a life, that he lives a hope despite knowing better. Baldwin continued to hope despite knowing that Martin Luther King Jr., Medgar Evans, and Malcolm X would all, were all assassinated. He lived a hope despite knowing better that 
even with the best efforts of the civil rights movement in 1978, the United States was still wrestling with issues of systemic racism and violence. I think Baldwin's sort of statement of what hope is to live a hope despite knowing better is the sort of hope that we need today. We need to again live in hope despite knowing better. Abraham and Sarah, who knew they were barren, knew the facts and that it was unlikely that they would have a child, still hoped. The disciples, knowing that they were persecuted, still went out and hoped. In the current age, it certainly seems like history is repeating itself. Racism and violence are met with calls for unity, peace, and reform, but there doesn't seem to be any new answers to age-old problems in our communities. But still, we must hope, despite knowing what has gone before and despite knowing better. Because as Paul reminds us, hope does not disappoint us. Amen.